Tonight, I'd like to have you turn, if you will, to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And I had also asked uh, Sean about uh, the women's uh, conference also, or retreat. Uh, we'll have more information about that on the weekend. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Last week, we ended uh, chapter 7 by finishing on verse 1 of chapter 8. So we'll kind of tie that all together. We've been dealing with the issues of wisdom in current events, if you will. And certainly for Solomon, he was encouraging his readers and listeners also to apply wisdom to everything going on under the sun, which is, of course, everything that's going on on the earth. The phrase under the sun means everything that goes on on the earth without God. Now, certainly there were believers. It was the nation of Israel. There were the children of Israel. <clears throat> but even they themselves were rebelling against God very early on. And uh, so their rebellion, their disobedience to God uh, was revealed, sadly, in the heart of, of Solomon himself who was brought up by David, you know, to understand the word of the Lord. We'll see a little bit of, of the connection with David and the covenants that were given by God uh, to Abraham and, and then, of course, following through the line of David to Jesus. So all of this is, is, is very significant. Tonight we are, we are dealing, and I believe very relevantly, with the issue of, of wisdom and uh, in, in, the, in the sense of, of how we deal with government. And uh, boy, uh, what we have seen happening in our country today is, uh, has, has been a, a, a tremendous, uh, it just seems that every day there's a new shock you know, to us. We're gonna have to be replacing our shock absorbers, our spiritual shock absorbers every day, because man, boom, you know, there's always something new that's going on with what's happening in the world. Uh, I sat down the uh, last few days trying to write, I was writing down this list of <laughs> what, are, what are the new normals that we have to deal with in this life, you know? What are the new normals? And, and, and a lot of them, as I was thinking about them, and I'm going to write them down and share them with you later, but a lot of them had to do with how we deal with, with government, how, how government is itself changing before our eyes, which is sad because there has always been the standard of the Constitution, and I speak of our own country here, the standard being the Constitution of the United States. But as we'll see in our study today, uh, that, that can be easily attacked, and it's <laughs> happening practically every every week in, in, in the Senate and, in, and mostly in the Congress or in the, uh, in the House of Representatives, but uh, you know, there's some of that in the Senate too, as we saw in another hearing that was going on today. We won't talk about that one, because I, again, my blood pressure, I gotta deal with that thing right now. So, y'all look at, don't, don't, don't worry, some of you are looking at me like, I hope he doesn't like, <laughs> I promise I won't, so. But uh, going back to verse 1 here of Ecclesiastes 8, he says, uh, Solomon writes, Who is as the wise man? Who is as the wise man? 
And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. And of course, we need to understand from that verse that Solomon was actually dealing with the fact that it isn't so much of man's own wisdom, but a man that, that trusts in the wisdom of God that is going to have the changing of countenance. I think that when we begin to compare the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God, there's no comparison, first of all. But so many people are trying to depend upon the wisdom of men. And it changes the countenance of a person. You know, what's in his heart is seen in his face. And, and so, you know, when, when we finally take hold of God's wisdom, where he's referring to a man taking hold of God's wisdom and making his face to shine. And the boldness of his face shall be changed. Because it's, 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 that, it's, it's as if the light bulb goes on and, and, and you say, I've got it now. I've got it. I've got what God is saying. Or I've got what God is saying or doing uh, for us. Because we're depending upon his wisdom to get us through this whole mess that we see happening. He goes on and he says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. Now I emphasize the word king here because now he says, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. And that in, rega and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing. For he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Now what he's saying to us is there is power in government. Israel had a government. Let's not forget that. Now their government really was supposed to trust in the, in the, in the headship of God. And the one who was leading the Israelites or the children of Israel had to be submissive completely to the Lord's leading and guiding. Don't forget now this whole thing, and I'll, I'll get back into the reading here in just a second, but don't forget this whole thing. God was their king. As the children of Israel were growing, as the children of Israel were maturing, at, at least hopefully they were maturing, uh, coming through the wilderness experience into the promised land, and then going about and establishing the tribes in the, in the places where they were all supposed to be. But God was their king. What was the cry of the people as they went on and on? They saw other nations around them had their own kings. Of course, they were all pagans. And then all of a sudden, the cries kept going out, what? We want a king like the other nations. And said, God said, okay. Tells the prophet Samuel to go and say, hey, you're rejecting God as king. You're not, you're not rejecting me or, you know, as the prophet or, or what. You're, you're rejecting God. But you want a man as a king? We'll give you a man. And then Saul was, of course, chosen. And we know what happens until David. Where the word of a king is, there's power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? 
<laughs> President of the United States gets that question all the time. Like right now. What's going on with this coronavirus? Now, in his explanation, I know I think some of you have heard what was going on here recently. You know, he's a, you know, he, he's explaining what's going on. But then when it comes down to certain things that you can't do much about, he says, well, it is what it is. And they took that little phrase, and the mainstream media just took it, I mean, totally out of proportion as if he had said, eh, who cares about anybody, which is not what he meant. But you see what the attitude of the heart is toward this current administration. Whoso keepeth the commandments shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there's time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. Election season is upon us. About three months. I think it's less than 90 days now. But election season is upon us whether we like it or not. And while we have so many other things to think about, to pray about, be concerned about, the election in November will be the most significant in the history of our nation. The battle lines are clearly drawn. The political positions are more distinct as they've ever been. Every key issue is a, potential, a potentially explosive one, leaving no middle ground, no no man's land to retreat to. Hanging in the balance are the Constitution of the United States, the rule of law, the rights of every good citizen to bear arms, the lives of the unborn, and that's just to name the most important issues. There are a lot more. There's immigration issues, and so on and so forth. We, I mean, we hear it all the time. But the mainstream media no longer just cloud the issues with misrepresentations of the current administration. They've been doing that quite a bit over many, many years and over many administrations. Opposing conservative candidates and positions they now, the media, promote as the voice of the radical socialist progressive left the most extreme Marxist policies that have ever been on any democratic platform. You study these policies, and they can only come from a Marxist position. Oh, they've been sweetened up a little bit to sound good to the ears of Americans. But I caution you and I urge you, do not turn into a useless idiot, or I should say a useful idiot. Because that is the term useful idiots 
that the communists in Russia used or the Soviet Union used to say, well, we're just going to let the United States of America destroy itself, but we're going to implement a lot of stuff in, into the culture, into the society, into their education, into their homes, into their schools. And I've talked about it many times, and it's happened. Now these positions, the, vote, the most fundamental change, as the previous president once said right before his, his term of office, the fundamental change has now come to the United States. It should have scared us when we heard it. It's what we see now. But here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. The electoral process must take place to assure protection from total anarchy. By the way, total anarchy is lawlessness and chaos. But what have we seen taking place in our country these past few months? Consider, if you will, the definition of anarchy. Anarchy, a state of disorder due to the absence or non-recognition of authority. Portland, Seattle. We can name other cities, lesser, uh, well, Chicago, we need to mention that too. And some of that's not so much coming out of, out of the streets, it's coming out of City Hall. But consider one other thing, how political the coronavirus pandemic has now been exposed to be with one political side calling for write-in ballots to be allowed for this election for, as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has stated recently, and I quote, it would be essential for Americans' health that we do write-in votes. And I like what some people have said. If you can stand in line at Walmart, at uh, you know, any other you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, if you can stand at some of these places, you can stand in line to vote. So simply, it would be an easy prescription for voter fraud. Now, for many, the injustices in government and the, abuse, and the abuse of power may persuade them not to take part in the electoral process, but this does, uh, does this solve any problems? It doesn't. It does not solve any problems if people now are, are persuaded not to take part. I think I, I listened to Senator Ted Cruz the other day. I don't know if it was, a, it was some kind of a, a political advertisement or, or maybe just a statement that he was making, but, but he pointed out that in the previous election, 2016, that 25 million Christians did not vote. Now, still, Donald Trump won the presidency. But remember what all the cries of the electoral college needs to be demolished. And if that were the case, then half, more than half of the country would, would, would not be important. They would become non-essential. We're not here to talk about that. Why am I bringing all of this up? Because government is important to God. 
Kings and nations are important to God. Solomon, king of Israel, the head of state and the head of government of Israel, made the great discovery that the seeming unfairness in life under the sun was not due to God, but due to human depravity. It was due to the human heart. He found that ultimate wisdom was beyond reach and that human perverseness and not divine injustice was to be the focus which, through the wisdom given by God, changed his countenance from one of sternness to brightness. Verse 1. God is in control. And if this is the case, then government has its proper place. And again, I want to emphasize, let's remember God is truly in control. So what I'm sharing with you is so that we will have the proper perspective about government as we utilize the privileges that have been given to us as citizens of the United States, and I emphasize citizens of the United States that need to be the ones to vote for the President of the United States. Consider what the Apostle Paul teaches about the powers of of government in Romans 13. Paul says in verses 1 through 7, he says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now I want to emphasize, he said, let every soul. He doesn't say some of you can and the rest of you may not worry about it. No, he says every soul. Now who was the power at the time? Rome. Rome was the power. In fact, this is a letter to the Romans. And he's telling them, be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. So anytime we deal with the issue of government, let's always remember God is in control of all things. Now, because he's in control of all things, he's also one who allows certain things to happen in governments, in nations, because he knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, and we have to trust him with the issues of government in our own country, yet we've been given a voice. What voice is that? We have been given a voice to express in the government as the citizens of the United States of America because of freedoms that God has given us. The ones who want to take away those particular freedoms are the ones who would rather have a tyrannical oversight of a government. Now what just is so strange, and this is why we need to sort these things out, is that the opposition to the present administration are the ones yelling and screaming about the current president as being a tyrannical leader. I even heard one senator, I think he was a senator, call him or, or compare him to Hitler. Now, those of you who are old enough, I hate to bring it up that way, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, old enough to, and, and, to know real history, real history about the World War II and the startings of that back in the, in the mid to late 30s, 1930s. We 
learn very specifically what Adolf Hitler did. After being elected into office by the people. But it was no longer the people who would have a voice. Their voice was taken away. And then he hated a certain race of people. He hated a certain race of people. Not just hated them, but hated them to the extent that he wanted to destroy them off the face of the earth as a people. Has anybody got that vibe from President Trump yet? I, I haven't even seen it get close to that. So do you see the useful idiots here? There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Oh, okay. Well, that's good because God's in control. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Ooh. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now that is a very standard statement when you're dealing with the very fact that that's what governments are supposed to be. They are for the people to protect the people and to give them the opportunity to live out their lives lawfully and rightly and safely. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is of good or which is good and thou that shall have and thou shall have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to, the, uh, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now we transfer that particular thought from the leadership of a nation to those who keep law and order, i.e. law enforcement of every level that are important at every job that they are given, whatever it may be, whether local, uh, city, uh, state, and federal. Uh, and again, I, I mentioned our own uh, system of government here in this country. But if thou that do... Uh, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers. You pay tribute, which is, you know, taxing, taxes. You know, our taxes are supposed to help pay for these things so that you know, we're taken care of. Uh... For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. We grew up respecting, many of us did. We were called to respect the badge of law enforcement. Respect them. We're never told that, you know, well, only respect them unless they say something back, bad at you or whatever. No, no, no. Though you respect the badge. The integrity of the officer himself would have to be up to the officer, you know. I mean, he should do what's right. 
And if not, then of course they have ways of dealing with those issues, except for today when people want to put their camera at every place that a police officer goes, because you know he may just do something that will make them a internet star, you see. So both Solomon and Paul teach us that we should obey government. Both also learn that we should ultimately obey God rather than man. Governments have gotten out of hand. They've gone to what we've called overreach in the last seven months or eight months. Overreach. Going way beyond what they're supposed to be doing for the people in this country because of the coronavirus. So then the issue becomes our doubt and uncertainty toward authority. A young man joins the army to learn discipline and to find security, but resents his first military haircut and hates polishing his shoes and buttons. That's going to be a problem. Even from birth, we've, we've had the problem with authority. We want the security, guidance, and support of our parents, yet as we grow, we rebel and do all we can to escape their rules and regulations. But the dilemma is that those who wield authority are also rebels to some degree because of the nature of the flesh. No one has more, aware, no one has more awareness of the doubt and uncertainty toward authority than Solomon, who saw it from both sides. His discovery was that, that just as wisdom, pleasure, and wealth offer less than they appeared to, so authority has the same deceptive emptiness. Yet, without authority, little in life can be accomplished. So there are a few things, four things that we're going to look at tonight. I'll outline them one at a time. The first one is obey authority in keeping with your loyalty to God. Obey authority in keeping with your loyalty to God. Now, that should be an easy thing for us in the United States, right? I mean, most of the, you know, the, the Gallup polls and stuff that have been taken over the last 30, 40 years say that we are close to 90% believers in God in this country. Would you believe that? I don't. I don't believe there's 90% of the, the, the populace of the United States believing in God. But, you know, people ask the question, do you believe in God? Well, sure. But they never ask him, well, who's your God? Oh, it's that caddy out there in the garage, you know. They're not going to say that either. But who's your God? Obey authority in keeping with your loyalty to God. Verse 2, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. As citizens of our nation, we are responsible to obey the proper powers and laws of the government. Pertaining to Israel, they were to keep the king's commandment on account of the oath or, a, or covenant which God made with Abraham and renewed with David. Now there are some who think that that oath is the oath that we make to God. And that's, that's possible, but how the, the Hebrew is, 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 is constructed here points to the oath of God, which is his covenant with the people. It was something that Solomon would remember because Solomon would have understood Psalm 89 verses 30 through 37 
Where, where here it says, if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. So there's a very simple outline here that, you know, we're giving commandments or we're giving laws, and if we keep them, that's good. But if we don't keep them, well, there's consequences. Which makes it so hard for us nowadays when we look at these riots that are going on and nobody, you know, I mean, people are doing everything to quell these, these riots and stuff, but the very people that are the, supposedly the government of these particular cities are doing nothing. So you see the complication here. Then will I visit their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness. Wow, this is God, folks. So God says, my loving kindness will I, will I not utterly take from him nor, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. He's saying, this is a covenant that's going to last forever. He says, his seed shall endure forever and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as faithful witness in heaven. In other words, the sun is going to rise every day and the moon's going to rise at night all the time. And there's no night anyway because when, when we get to the, the kingdom of Christ, there is no night. It's all day. We'll see the sun and the moon like we do sometimes in the daytime. Similarly, the powers and the laws of our government exist to serve for our protection and provide benefits to our well-being. Go back to verse 3 of Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Even Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, brings us to that understanding in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, when he says in verses 13 and 14, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So what we're hearing from the scriptures uh, as believers in Jesus Christ and believers in the Word of God is that we are to obey when it is not pleasant or convenient because government is ordained by God. Have you ever received a jury summons just as you're leaving for vacation? Ah. <laughs> you want to get on the line real quick and say, I need an extension. Send me another one later. And you have to go through the process, you know, to do that. How about taxes? Ever thought about not paying them? Uh, don't think about it. We don't like them. Sometimes we consider that uh, tax law is the worst kind of law around because of the number of, I mean, they've, they've just built piles and piles of laws for every little detail. And none of us understand it. But we pay our taxes. Because we're good citizens. As believers in Jesus Christ. 
Romans 13 verse 7 says, render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. <sighs> Government likes to take, you know, take the credit for, for having what we've given them. Uh, government is going to fund this, government is going to fund that. Uh, excuse me, taxpayers are funding it. <laughs> so we're paying our taxes. Will Rogers once said, we ought to be grateful that we don't have as much government as we've paid for. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's get off of that subject real quick. Let's go on to the next part, the next point. Obey authority because of its right of force. Obey authority because of its right of force. Solomon says, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Don't try to go and cover up what you're doing from the sight of the law. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? I guess you can put it this way, courts are always busy. Courts are always busy. But whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. In the United States of America, we don't have a king, but we have a head of state who represents the power and the authority of government, which has the right under the Constitution, and I quote, to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, etc., etc. So notice again, going back to verse 4 of Romans 13, that Paul writes, for he is the minister of God to thee, for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Obeying authority keeps us from getting into worse trouble. If you ignore paying a traffic ticket, whatever fine could have been paid will quickly triple or quadruple or jail time, whatever. You might even receive a visit from your friendly law enforcement officer reminding you of your lapse of memory. They will do that to help you out. Think for a moment of the kings that Daniel served under and, uh, or the kings that Daniel served under and how he served them. How did he serve? He served them well. <clears throat> I mean, here's a Hebrew. Yet he was high in most of those governments. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius. He never compromised his faith in God, and yet he was trusted and promoted constantly. The same with Joseph, serving under Pharaoh. 
Do what the authority wants within the laws that serve the people and obey your conscience when the law is not just, where it is better to obey God rather than man. There are a lot of brave brothers, pastors in California. And I name the states that are having the, the worst times with their governors, California and New Mexico. I, I was with my brother pastors here from New Mexico uh, last week and this was this was the talk, at least one of the one of the issues that we were talking about. And each one of them in New Mexico said, you know, we're we're ready to, you know, if, if they come to arrest us, we'll be ready. And they were gonna have their legal team available. We have a legal team available. Uh, we have to be. But being in Texas, we, we don't have that threat as they do in those states, Nevada as well. And what's very interesting is this, the, the, I know that in California, John MacArthur has stood up strongly against all of this stuff that's going against the churches, but most of the rest of them are the Calvary chapels in California. And in Nevada, in fact, I think even one of the Supreme Court uh, Justices mentioned a Calvary Chapel that had stood up against what had, had been taking place in Nevada itself. I mean, we thank the Lord for them, you know. If it ever happened here, we do the same. Because it is more important to obey God than it is to obey men. Man does not tell us how to worship him, how to worship God. That's tyranny, and that's tyranny coming from the highest office in the state. Not in our state right now, but you never know. You really never know. I like to be, believe otherwise. So this requires discernment. That's why verses five and six of our text says, whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Discerneth both time and judgment. Being very discerning of what is happening with the laws in our country and in our city and in our state. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. And therefore the misery of man is great upon him. So all of this refers to knowing the right procedure for the right time. We are reminded of that great passage in chapter 3 of uh, Ecclesiastes where we are told that there is a time and a place for everything. That in God's plan for every individual life, there is a provision made for sorrow and rejoicing, for tears and for laughter, for war and for peace. The misery of man that is mentioned by Solomon suggests that it isn't always easy to know what God wants or how to obey. Or when? He didn't create robots, but gave us free moral agency to choose. Each and every circumstance concerning the law requires that we choose to walk in the wisdom of God and in respect to authorities. 
unless, of course, those authorities completely turn against the things of God. Consider Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. How are we to walk? Paul says that you, may, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. While we live our lives in this city, in this state, in this country, we need to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. In other words, let's walk to please him and be fruitful in everything that we do and increase in the knowledge of God. Yeah, we need to know the laws, but one thing we need to know more, more than the laws is we need to know God's law. We need to know God's word. We need to go, know God's commandments. We need to go know God's statutes and, and, and righteous judgments out of his word. We will never stand before God saying, well, Lord, I didn't know. <laughs> he said, I gave you everything you needed to know. There's no excuse to a believer in knowing the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, verse 6, as you have therefore received Jesus or Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As you have received him, so walk ye in him. If you've received the Lord, then walk in the Lord. Walk in Christ. Walk in the, in the steps of the Lord. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Colossians 4 verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, toward them that are outside of the faith. Redeeming the time. Redeem the time. Do the most with the time that we have on this earth. Because when Jesus comes, that's it. God will still be in control. But so much is going to change to the worst. Worse than what we see happening today. That's why we need to know Jesus Christ. Because to them who are saved in Christ, none of these things that happen in the seven-year period of tribulation will affect us because we won't be here. We will not be here. Because God has said, I will rescue you. That's how bad it's going to be. Thirdly, obey authority because of God's intentions. Obey authority because of God's intentions. Verses 7 and 8. I'm going to put it on overdrive here because we're really running late. Verses 7 and 8. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. We don't always know what God intends to work out by means of our obedience. He may have blessings for us that come out of that obedience which we could never foresee. You see, it's not about what we get out of obedience, it's that we obey. That's the most important thing, is that we obey. 
God has already promised blessing to those who are obedient. Whatever that blessing is and whenever that blessing comes, it's not up to us. It's up to him. No, no one has the power over death, Solomon is saying. Even that ruler whose word carries full weight in his own land. Death is in God's hand. Death is in God's hand. There's no discharge in time of war. Wickedness in the context of one fighting a war is no escape from the law. All of this is a reminder of the limitations of the human race. Let me give you a couple of pointers. No person has the power to stop the day of his death. That is that phrase there, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither has he power in the day of death. Verse 8. When he speaks of the spirit, he uses the word ruach. Ruach. The wind or the spirit, the ruach, is an element over which humans have absolutely no control. It is a word that is also used for the spirit of God. The ruach. On a warm day, a cool breeze is welcome and refreshing. On smoldering days, the air is often completely still, offering no relief at all. At the other end of the spectrum, wind can represent the worst in nature during hurricanes and tornadoes and monsoons, causing inconceivable damage, destruction, and death. All the while, humans crouch helplessly in fear. We can do nothing to force the wind into action or to stop it or to regulate its temperature. So it is with death. So it is with death. We're powerless to stop it. That's why we as believers in Jesus Christ have a totally different perspective about death than the world does today. If it were up to me, I know by saying this, I'm going to have to go a little longer, so bear with me. But if it were up to me, I would just say, okay, folks, life was a risk the day you were born. We've known, maybe even in our own families, potential brothers or sisters that didn't make it into this life. They were either stillborn or they were born and only died very quickly after birth. Life is a risk because of the fall of man. We've been through a lot these last few months, but it's time to come back to something, life because God wants us to live it. There are a lot of voices telling us to do this and do that. And we've gotten the world into this fearful, fearful tizzy. Just afraid. Some people are even afraid to have anybody get within six feet of them. Who made that regulation? What is happening? 
something wrong. So if it were up to me, I would just say, let's live life. You get sick, go to the doctor. Because before the coronavirus ever even appeared, people got sick, went to the doctor, went to the hospital, went to emergency. Those of you who are healthcare workers, you dealt with it back then all the time. Why does it seem to be different today? Aside from the fact that we think that there's something sinister about all of this that's going on, we don't even need the coronavirus to take lives. People are dying from other things. People are dying from traffic fatalities or in traffic fatalities or becoming traffic fatalities. Sadly, though, they'll stick to COVID label on some of them. It's ridiculous. Okay, I didn't say everything I wanted to say, but I think you got my point. All the while, humans are crouching helplessly in fear. We can do nothing to force the wind into action or to stop it or to regulate its temperature, and so it is with death. We're powerless to stop it, and when our appointment with death arrives, we cannot miss it, we cannot escape it, we can't even reschedule it like <laughs> like jury duty. <laughs> we can't. It's beyond our control. The second point is no person who practices wickedness can stop its enslaving power. That's what it says when it says there's no discharge in that War, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. The truth is the compelling reason why we must avoid every appearance of evil and flee, rather than flirt with temptation. Wickedness does not willfully and easily release its captives. Solomon used an identifiable image to stir and wake us up. We must open our eyes and fully see the power of sin. In wartime, soldiers are drafted, not discharged. Armies do not thin their ranks during an active military campaign. They build them up, reinforcing their numbers as well as their loyalty and determination. Solomon is reminding us that we're in a war. Life is a battleground. Life is not a playground. The enemy, Satan, declared war on God when he rebelled against him in the courts of heaven. He declared war on man in the Garden of Eden, and when anyone falls into the devil's clutches, he does not easily let go. He is like a lion that amuses himself by toying with his prey until he finally chooses to devour it. And sadly, the foolish believe they can dabble in sin and walk away whenever they choose. In contrast, the wise recognize the limitations of the flesh and they run from Satan's snares. That's also discernment. We do well in remembering the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 26, when he says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And in answer to a question that had been posed to Jesus, he tells the parable 
for a man who was wealthy and wanted to build more and more uh, silos for his wealthy grain. I'll eat, I'll drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Luke 10, I'm sorry, Luke 12, verse 20, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? No person. who practices wickedness can stop its enslaving power. Lastly, the fourth point is remember there is evil in government. There is evil in government. Verse 9, all this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. This brings us back to Solomon's discovery of the heart of man. All governments, to a certain extent, are evil because of man's involvement. There is none righteous, no, not one. Man, without the knowledge of God, seeks to oppress. And yet still, government comes from God. There will always be tyrannical rulers who hurt, not merely their own subjects, but themselves also. So I want you to consider the words of Peter. We're going to close with the words of Peter from First Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Because it is a reminder to us of the calling of apostles and of elders and of pastors and of leaders within the church. But there is a responsibility that we have amongst the body of Christ. Now, that I'm using tonight to emphasize what is the ideal for government. And in some cases, we found that there are those who go into government with that desire. And there are, there are believing uh, uh, Christians, there are Christians who who truly trust the Lord that are serving in government today and others that want to be in government. And we should consider them because we have that privilege and that right of voting and doing so for the good of the nation and the good of the people. But listen to the words of Peter here and then let's close by applying this. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, he says, of himself, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. That's a tremendous statement. He says, listen, I, I've been saved by Jesus Christ just like you have, and we have the hope of glory. He says, feed the flock of God. Speaking to the elders, to the leaders of the church, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, 
but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Remember that the word ensample is a little bit different than just the word example. An ensample means I've taken what I've been given and now I must apply it in my life. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Oh, that men and women in government today would see this as a, as a proper template for the kind of heart that needs to be uh, activated for service to a nation and to a people. There are those who do that, and we should pray for them and pray for them often because they face an opposition that is demonic. They face an opposition that is satanic. They face an opposition that doesn't really care about lives. Lives don't matter to some of these people, but lives matter to God's people. All life should matter for us. The greatest example was Jesus dying for all. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, whosoever shall not perish but have everlasting life. That matters. And that should matter to us. Critical days, critical decisions. My prayer is that we will all be discerning about our responsibilities as citizens of heaven and citizens of the United States, or citizens of whatever country you're in, but become the citizen that God wants you to be in heaven. Know Jesus, know him, and represent him.